0: You ever had a sling gym?
1: What do you think? I think it's time. Come on. This is what road trips are all about.
0: Can't have a bite of the gym. Bite the gym. Nibble on the gym. Bite of the James? Hmm? Isn't that what they say in your country? Little bite of the James, shall we? Yum, 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 yum. Mmm, yum, 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 yum. James! Go
1: Never do a Slim Jim!
0: to the Cinema Psych Podcast. Podcast, where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about caregiving. Today's film is The Fundamentals of Caring, a 2016 Netflix Direct film. So, wow, we're coming up on uh, eight years since that movie came out. The movie was written and directed by rob burnett and the film is based on the book the revised fundamentals of caring which is a massive name and so they they just shortened it a little bit to Fundamentals of Caring, because there's a lot of different kinds of caring in this movie that we'll talk about between uh, the two main characters and, of course, some of the side characters that we meet along the way. The film stars Paul Rudd as a poorly named character. I gotta say, I, it, it's I know people like this exist in real life, and it's It's This is not a commentary on them, but uh, his character's name is Ben Benjamin. So I'm assuming he is Benjamin Benjamin. Oh, boy. I know this is a fictional character, but oh, my God. Can we maybe um, be a little bit more original with naming? That's all I'm saying. That's all I am saying. Anyways, Paul Rudd's character, of course, is... Paul Rudd um there's really no uh it's kind of no line between Paul Rudd and Ben Benjamin uh I would say uh still kind of jokey, still kind of goofy, uh irreverent that kind of thing. Uh so Paul Rudd basically. Craig Roberts plays the second lead. He is a younger uh younger man, I think he's like in his late teens, somewhere around there. Uh, an adult, I believe, not an actual child, not, not like a teenager minor or anything like that in the film. Um, he has muscular dystrophy mentioned multiple times as Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So I'm assuming that this is a rarer form of muscular dystrophy. Um, his character's name is Trevor. His mother is played by Jennifer Eel. Her name is Elsa. We'll talk a lot about her in this episode because a lot of Trevor's early characterizations are a product, I believe, of Jennifer Eel's mother character. Selena Gomez is in the movie. She plays Dot. Her full name is later revealed as Dorothy. Dot, she's a hitchhiker that uh, Ben and Trevor pick up on their road trip. And then, um, well, let's see. We've got uh, a character named Peaches, played by Megan Ferguson. And then uh, Bobby Cannavale who had previously appeared in Ant-Man the previous year, in 2015 with Ball Rudd, plays Dot's dad. We meet him toward the end of the movie. Turns out he's been tailing Dot while she's been hitchhiking to make sure that she ends up in the right place. So, and then a few other bit actors here and there. Julia Denton plays Janet, who is Ben Benjamin's Uh, soon-to-be ex-wife, and we'll get into uh, why that's soon-to-be their their current—in the movie, they are married until um, events at the end of the movie. So the movie itself, uh, like I said, Craig Roberts plays Trevor. Trevor has muscular dystrophy, so he is wheelchair-bound, and Paul Rudd plays his caregiver, his full-time caregiver, while— Jennifer Eel's character, his mother, works um, every day at a bank, during the day at a bank. And so Trevor needs care around the clock, has a routine. We'll talk about the routine and everything. Uh, and so we in this, epi- in, in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, disability, disability perception from both the non-disabled side and the disabled side, and then, of course, the relationships and the trauma that is um, part of the characterization of Paul Rudd's character. So we're going to get into all of that. Please stay tuned. We've got a great guest host to talk about the disability perspective, so stick around. We'll be jumping right into that. My guest host today is Dr. Krissa Draper. Krissa is an assistant professor at Utah State University and the co-director of the psychology department undergraduate program. She co-runs a distance undergraduate research lab and has since 2018, well before COVID, which is quite interesting. While the research she does varies in content from the science of teaching and learning, SOTL, for the folks that are in the know, to implicit biases, and all sorts of things in between. She also does regular talks and trainings related to disabilities and chronic health conditions, both teaching evidence-based treatments and coping from the lens of experience and exploring microaggressions related to these issues. Welcome to the show, Krissa.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: How has your spring 2024 semester gotten off to the start?
1: You know, so far, so good. It's been a a whirlwind the past few years for me, as I think it has for just about everybody else. But, you know, I'm ready to get going again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy to have you on, and uh, good luck to a good spring 2024 semester. So before we jump into today's film, uh, The Fundamentals of caring. I wanted to get your sense like I do with all of my guests because uh I like to blend of course teaching and film. I'd like to get your sense on film in general, like what do you think about movies? And then mixing movies into your teaching.
1: So I am just obsessed with films. It's that is probably my primary hobby um, awesome. and I'm in Utah which is like one of the main things I was excited about when moving here was like, wait, do I get to go to Sundance? Which I oh. had managed to do, um, every year for, for several years, even through COVID I got to do like the online viewings and stuff, which obviously I could have done from anywhere, but I didn't know that because <laughs> it's living in Utah that helps. So, um, so yeah, I get very excited about films from art house to just mm-hmm. everything else. I love using films in my teaching. I often kind of have it, um, more often when I'm doing in person where I can use yeah. clips and things throughout. And mm-hmm. I haven't been doing as much in person lately. So it's a lot more film okay. recommendations because I don't think students uh, end up watching the film to the same degree or engaging in the discussions quite as much as I would like. But I do love it. I, mm-hmm. I just think that it's I mean, that's where you get the stories of real life and emotionality around things that we're trying to teach. And I just absolutely think they're great tools.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it, I like so you're one of the first people to to mention the stories and emotionality, could you expand on the emotionality part a little bit more? This is for the books that I'm writing, of course.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I think that to me, the reason that we like films is because it helps us to experience emotions in a safe mm-hmm. environment. Okay, And I think, you know, we get the same I thing, think I think, out of novels or stories in, in all forms, whether it's our friend's story mm. or, you know, a family story. But I think that we have this narrative that is so well pruned for mm-hmm. um, uh, evoking emotions, that it's really like this safe practicing uh, mm-hmm. space for emotions that helps us to understand not just our own experience, but the experience of people. And I love that about
0: movies. That's that's so great because, yeah, it's the human, uh, I guess, proclivity, we'll say, to telling stories way back in our, you know, our ancestral history of telling oral stories and then learning how to write and then putting those down in writing and then figuring out films and pictures and things like that and putting them on the screen to use visuals. It takes you back all the way to, you know, cave paintings and all of that and and being able to share experiences and being able to find whether I know on the show we talk a lot about fictional Hollywood films, of course, and so we're not necessarily talking about real, at least in real life people, sometimes based on true stories, but we still kind of feel that because they are people presenting it to us. Animation still works, even though they're not real people, right? Because there's anthropomorphized and things like that. So Absolutely. yeah, stories makes it. Uh, stories just makes it, and I think stories, as you're saying, is a great vector, an avenue to talk about psychology. Absolutely. Since psychology is about humans, of course. Right. So you know. <laughs> it's the best of all worlds in my opinion and i think that's a refrain that you might agree with and many uh uh guests have mentioned in the past on the show and it's just Absolutely. so fun it's so fun doing this podcast as we as i'm you know this is the, like the 5th calendar year that i'm doing this show this is the 75th episode uh and just to ha- see people share those sentiments it's just it's so lovely
1: that's so exciting congratulations on ha- your long running podcast too that's I uh, appreciate but-
0: that I appreciate that um yeah. so the sentiment and sentimentality aside let's uh-huh. jump into our film discussion for today which is the fundamentals of caring so uh-huh. we uh we met at ACT uh, S- mm-hmm. uh, the Sci- Society for the Teaching of Psychology uh, annual conference on teaching back in October in Portland. Um, we we went and had dinner at one of their famous restaurants, and um, I, you got one of their like flamin' mos or whatever. <laughs> I, I forgot what it was did. called. The
1: Spanish coffee. Yeah. There you
0: go, Spanish coffee. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um And how was the Spanish coffee?
1: Oh, it was a delight! Uh, dinner and a show. In so
0: many ways. Yeah, that was very fun. That they make they make the Spanish coffee in front of front of the table. That was great. So we were <laughs> talking about uh, you joining the the podcast then, and, um, and then we we had some email correspondence after that. And you're a big horror fan, right? I am. Yeah. Yes. So I'm a less of a horror fan, as I've mentioned on the <laughs> uh, the show very frequently. So I asked for some other. Uh, <laughs> some other suggestions and you had suggested <laughs> fundamentals of caring and uh this is a netflix so this is a netflix production it will always be on netflix so if you're a netflix subscriber you can always catch this it's not too long it's like it just over an hour and a half so very tight very tight film definitely recommend watching this if you want some uh some sad cries some happy cries uh some feel goods, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's a really good story, Fundamentals of Caring. And in the beginning of the movie, the main character goes to a six-week course to learn and to be a certified caregiver uh, with a company that employs full-time in-house caregivers. So, Chris, I wanted to ask you what brought this particular choice up in our discussions? And once we settled on it, what could you tell us about broadly uh, your thoughts on the film?
1: Yeah, so I think that this film in particular is so great at teaching all of these lessons that are just cornerstones in in psychology teaching. Um, So I think it's great at teaching issues related to DEI generally, and more specifically to a group that is just so often forgotten in discussions of DEI, which is people with disabilities and chronic health conditions. Mm -hmm. And that's a group that I happen to be a part of, which is kind of why I noticed that we're missing. (laughs) Yeah. So um, yeah, the two kind of main messages that I think or parent through this film that are so useful is first that like any diverse group is made up of individuals and is Mm -hmm. not a monolith. And right. that's true of all sorts of DEI discussions, but it's this people first discussion, um, you know, that I think is really highlighted in the film of it, one character saying, you know, I could be a jerk with or without the wheelchair mm-hmm. or something similar to that. And I think that's just so telling of like, yeah, this is, there's people in here, mm-hmm. not just disabled in here. Right. And the other theme that I think is so great in this movie is really, um, kind of aligning with this idea of cultural humility and Mm -hmm. understanding that the way to give care um, you know, lining up with fundamentals of caring as a position is to watch and listen mm-hmm. and and to learn about this person through actual kind of empathy instead of uh, decisions from books or, or pre-existing ideas. And that's so important in this one because it's not uh, the character that most people expect to see or want to see in a wheelchair. And I really like that about it. Yeah. So I think it's this phenomenal uh movie. It's showing a few sides of the experience of disability. Perhaps most importantly, it just gives representation to a group that mm-hmm. really isn't represented that much. And I feel like this movie is kind of like the almost like the will and grace was to representation in LGBTQIA circles. Okay. Where it's like yeah. it doesn't, it's like an intro, right? Yeah. It's like a an introductory level of like hey, we're just starting somewhere. So now we're going to make it all about this instead of saying, hey, there's just a person in a wheelchair having a life and we're mm-hmm. thinking of emotions about something else. But for now, it's great because it's it's all about like what it means to be in this relationship uh, with somebody with a disability and to give care in that way. And I love that.
0: Yeah. And I I, I want to jump on some of the points that you you mentioned there So there are there are fictional Hollywood films out there that feature characters in wheelchairs that 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 feature disabled characters, again, out of wheelchairs and with other disabilities like Elephant Man, for example. Right. If you want to talk about classic horror or something like that. But this film in particular fits with the show Cinema Psych Podcast because of the message, the themes Not just that there is a disabled character in the movie, but we specifically focus on how disabled characters navigate life, especially navigate an abled-bodied life, right? So uh, yeah. it, we are a able centric society. And so the margins are where you find disabled folks, especially those with physical disabilities, folks in, in uh-huh. wheelchairs, which prompted t- not even until like, really, what was it? The 1990s when the Americans with Disabilities Act was- 1990, exactly. Yeah, yeah 1990. Mm-hmm. So right, y- you know, y- you're talking about Relatively recent history where uh, these issues, especially physically disabled issues, are brought to the fore, right? Um, Having ramps, elevators, these things like that to allow um, people from the margins to actually participate fully in – uh, society, And so um, what I want to jump off from there before we get into the specific features of the main character, Trevor, who is wheelchair bound, you mentioned that you were a, a member of the disability community. Would you like to uh, share with the audience what your experience is and and how you have um managed that in your sure. life?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I was in my third year of my PhD program when I was hit by and dragged under a pickup truck.
0: Oh my goodness. Which
1: I don't recommend if ever you have the occasion to, mm. um, try that out. Don't do it.
0: Oh good. Uh, but it ah. was,
1: I kind of had my, I broke my left side basically. okay, And then everything healed except um, my foot didn't. And then it got worse. And so after about six months, I was diagnosed with a, um, it's an autoimmune disorder. It's Mm. honestly the most fascinating disorder, I think. It's (laughs) um, an autoimmune disorder of the nerves. Okay. so it's basically my brain telling me on repeat that my foot is like freshly broken. And so it sends all the resources as though it's broken. So Mm -hmm. it's like changes in bone structure, changes in skin, changes Mm -hmm. in sweating, all these things that I didn't even like know Mm -hmm. the bodies cared about for healing. Right. And then, of course, the main symptom is it's sending the pain that says keep this area safe because it's freshly broken. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually, uh, in a lot of ways it is, um, seen as the most painful chronic pain condition. If you ask chat GPT, what's the most painful, it'll say, well, we can't say specifically, but also <laughs> the RPS. So, it, uh, and there's kind of a few articles that, um, are kind of what ChatGPT is going off of that for. So okay. it's a very, very painful condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, I can walk um, and, you know, becoming part of this community. I've learned so many different things that I think are so interesting, one of which is like most of us can walk mm-hmm. that use wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually the the statistic is around 70 percent or more of people in wheelchairs can get up and move around, walk right. around. So even though yeah. I used to just stand up and say, it's a miracle <laughs> um, <laughs> over time, it's especially like, to a new can. group
0: of people. Oh, my God.
1: right, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But it turns out that's normal. Like we're all, um, not we're all, but uh, the vast majority of us, uh, have this range of things. And for me, Mm -hmm. it really just helps to make my life a lot bigger to use adaptive equipment. So if I wanted to be stubborn and not use a wheelchair or not use a cane, I could live my life, but it would mostly be from home because I would wear myself out too quickly in pain and then just kind of,
0: so, so that's my
1: relationship to, um, kind of where it started. And what I do now with another kind of interesting tidbit that I'll add about that story being, it is so interesting to overnight become a part of a community sure, and have that relationship with microaggressions, right? Because mm-hmm. microaggressions don't matter mm-hmm. until they're repeated too much. Mm-hmm. And so to come from the majority where I was the microaggressor, mm-hmm to the minority and see it took like five to seven years for these to build up and become like, Oh wait, I get it. I don't like that anymore.
0: Yeah. I hear you. So
1: it's so interesting. I love that part of it too. It's just what an interesting view, but anyway, so that's my, um, my story with how I relate to all this stuff.
0: I want to share a personal story with you um, and the listeners, of course. Um, it's not something that I really share a lot because I, I don't know where I fit in in all of this. So I had, well, I, I, I should say I have. I have a congenital defect in my left ankle. Considering that you just said your left foot, I was T- very, very taken with you suggesting it was your, or telling me that it was your left foot. My uh-huh. left ankle got the wrong in- set of instructions in my genes uh, uh-huh. when I was developing, and it's called a sub tailor coalition. It-, it just means that my ankle bones did not develop correctly, and they started fusing together. So when I was twelve, I got, um, I got surgery to uh-huh. quote- unquote correct this disorder basically they they uh, the orthopedic surgeon cut out a a piece of my bone and then took some fatty tissue, from my achilles area and shoved it in between those two bones and they're like "Yep, he's 12 he's not gonna have any more problems with this fast forward to oh and the reason why i ended up getting surgery is because um my ankle would lock up especially sitting cross-legged uh we had to sit cross-legged um when we lined up for uh so middle school when we lined up uh for p.e we before we went and did any kind of sports or running or anything like that we had to sit cross-legged on the ground and so i would get up and i would not be able to move until my ankle kind of warmed up i guess and then i would sure. able to do but then after like we had to do our you know our mile runs i'm sure you remember P- P- school <laughs> pe yeah. Um, after we had, we did, we played sports or we did runs, you know, I would tell my mom that like, it would be tough to walk afterward. So ended up getting, you know, x-rays and going through the whole thing. Fast forward to my recovery and having to do ankle exercises to get my ankle. I do not have full range of motion. I never did have full range of motion. Yeah, I was probably a, a, a bit of a dumb teenager and not doing, uh, not adhering to my physical therapy regimen, I did not see a physical physical therapist. I had to do these at home. So right, so it was base basically my responsibility to do my yeah. own physical therapy exercises. And um, you know, I, I, I ultimately, it's hard to say whether or not it was my fault or you know just my body's fault. But fast forward to when I was six, uh, like uh, eighteen or whatever, I went back to that same orthopedic group, and I was like, listen. It hurts every time I I walk for an extended period of time and they're like, "Okay, here, wear some orthotics." Orthotics didn't really help. Yeah. Um fast forward to grad school, I had really good insurance, so I'm like, "I should probably get this checked out." And so I got x-rays um and they're like, "Well, you know, the <laughs> the fatty tissue isn't really there anymore." Yeah. Um and really physical therapy is the only thing that is gonna help you so I went and did some physical therapy and they told me how to you know do these exercises hip exercises ankle exercises all sorts of exercises to strengthen from the hip basically the hip all the way down to relieve pressure on my ankle and none of it really helped the only thing that I would tell you that really feels good is when the opposite side tendons are hit with ultrasound Uh, an ultrasound um, like uh, thing because it, it it like releases the tension in them. It's really strange, but it's the only thing that feels good. And I am concerned. I don't have a prognosis. Uh, I am concerned that um, eventually it's going to be a cane if I'm walking, but I don't want to say it may be a wheelchair because I think that's a little possibly too out to, too far out to the future so yeah. psychologically because i can walk does hurt sometimes like if i were to get up right now it's going to be stiff and it's going to be painful to walk until i like really flex it out sure but because i can walk but have this what i would call an invisible issue right yeah you wouldn't know it unless you saw me limping and a limp can right. be any reason you'd be limping for any reason oh he sprained his ankle well that's going to heal Eventually. Right. So one of the things that I've been struggling with with my identity has been where do I consider myself? Yeah. Do I consider myself part of the disabled community? Does that take away as, you know, as part of very all of the other major identity groups? Right. I'm a I'm white. I'm a man. I'm straight and and i i come from relative privilege and i have a position of privilege mm-hmm. um as a as a college professor where do i sit in that so that's something that i've been i'm not i'm not asking you to 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 um like you know place me there i'm just sharing that mm-hmm. um i think if you don't have a at least from my perspective if you don't have a visible disability right you're you're not in a wheelchair um, you're not walking with a cane. You don't have a handicap placard in your car, or on your license plate, or whatever. Where does one fit in that, identi- yeah. I- in that identity space? And that's something that I've been grappling with for the better part of a decade. Yeah. So, I mean, you can. I. 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 I would like to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah. As someone who said just a few minutes ago, it's wild how you go one day not being a member of the disabled community and one day being a member of or considering yourself a member of the disabled community. So uh I'd like to hear your thoughts. Again, I, I, I'm not asking for like, a uh, you should do this or you should do that. But I am sure. curious.
1: Yeah, you might not be asking for it, but you're going to get it because here's the thing. <laughs> I think that that is the most common experience. Mm-hmm. So like I go to movies to understand the human condition and I go to research, but I also go to stand up comedy. Like I think stand up comedy is this great source of like the only way that it hits is if it's relatable. Yeah. So you can understand so much more just by what they're saying. You're like, there's a whole like set of individuals who get this. And there are three or four disabled comedians that I follow, mm-hmm. all of whom have said what you just said. Yeah. I have said what you just said. Okay. I've seen people in um, shows about disability, say what you just said. Mm -hmm. And so I've come to have this theory about like disability identity Mm -hmm. um, that needs to be studied. So if anybody's looking for a research idea, I got one for you. I think that where we fit in this is really um, very similar to like the mixed race issue where people kind of don't know where they fit because it's very, it's really a very small minority of people with disabilities who are the ones that we think Of and say, well, I don't want to take away from their their rights. I don't want to take away from their identity, but I think it's kind of like the word disability is really doing an injustice to everyone. I I agree because it's too big. It's a problem in language, and so I think people with disabilities is almost um, like I think it's bigger, but most similar to like the concept of like BIPOC. Where it's not as though this the um, somebody who is black is having a similar situation in the United States as somebody who is Asian, mm-hmm. um, but they're kind of both covered by this overall thing, let yeah. alone somebody who's mixed race on, uh, you know, half white and half a- a- any of those things. So I think it's like, it all counts in this way of like, does it affect your ability to interact with the world mm-hmm. the way that other people do? Mm-hmm. And and I think that the vast majority of people with disabilities would kind of have this shyness or shudder about like, well, I don't really count.
0: Yeah. I, I, I wonder if there is a, uh, uh, a shame associated with it. I've I've considered that being an, an emotion that is mm-hmm. possible for sure. my for my experience. Right. Being ashamed. Yeah. That I am disabled, and and this is me being absolutely raw here. So I apologize to anyone listening if 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 you take my my use of shame in the wrong way. I'm speaking only for myself. Yeah. So right. So is it a bad thing to be right. a a disabled person? Right. Or yeah. does it? Uh, or on the on the same uh, side of the token, does it offer me a special kind of of? A victimhood or something like that right and, uh-huh. and that's an, an elegant way of saying um there's an injustice an inherent injustice somewhere in there um, right. so that that's that's all that that again like I said I've been grappling with this I with this identity crisis so to speak for the the better part of a decade I would say yeah
1: yeah I can imagine yeah and I think um you know one other thing that I think is so interesting is you know, like, I think there's a lot of emotions that can go with that. And so that progression, um, from when I was 26 years old, um, kind of gaining this lifelong disability and, and, or this lifelong chronic illness that I didn't really identify as a disability right away right, is like, I think there was a lot of shame. I think there was a lot of like, um, grief, a lot. It's mm, just so mm-hmm. many emotional, like all the big emotions, so much fear, so much everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really just a bizarre thing that as I've aged into this just being kind of a comfortable background part of who I am, Mm -hmm. it's not all that interesting in a lot of ways. It's the only ways I think all that interesting is because it's rare and not a lot of people that I know can share that, that experience. Other than that, nobody cares. And so I start to see these things that used to be there and I don't understand them anymore, including I only in the last probably two years started to become aware of this idea that... There is a disability pride month, oh. the month of July. And so the idea wow. that once okay. you get kind of habituated to this identity and, and what it means and who you are, it's not something that's just like a loss. Mm-hmm. It's something that gives too. Okay. And yeah. even though I'm in pain all the time, and you know, that's not great, what it has done for me yeah. to develop my other parts of my identity are, are I wouldn't have been able to do. Like, People with disabilities on the whole are the most exceptional problem solvers. And it's come out of necessity, but man, is it cool. Like I got you beat, guaranteed. You know what I mean? It's like this cool thing that I will take that. I like it. I like that about me. And this adaptability, because it's kind of like, you know, you're put into the flames, figure it out or burn. Uh And so you figure it out. And now there's this resilience that I get to have that other people don't have access to. And so there's all these proud points that I think I would, even even when I had a disability early, I would not have understood or seen in the, my future. I would have been like, that's... A lot of people with a lot of dissonance <laughs> it's like yeah. no this is for reals yeah know? yeah
0: i appreciate you you uh giving me a, another side of that because i have not incorporated that into my identity as much as you say that you have so mm-hmm. perhaps that is a point or source for growth as i continue <laughs> to live right and live live with this
1: locations are also on a precise schedule it's all in this notebook. Prescription meds, deflazacort, losartin, plerinone those you absolutely can't miss. Then the supplements, protandum, halin, omega fatty acids, calcium, vitamin D, CoQ10, creatine, glutamine, quercetin, multivitamin, and mega green tea. Why don't you read the notebook? And we'll talk more thoroughly later. Statistically, Trevor probably has another 7 to 10
0: years. So let's do everything right, okay? What I want to do is... obviously pivot back to the movie, but your your last point here, right? So let's talk about Trevor. Uh, Trevor is the character in the movie. And he has Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is a rare mm-hmm. form of muscular dystrophy. And um, it does end lives a little bit earlier than other forms of muscular dystrophy. And if, if you're not familiar with muscular dystrophy, this is a degenerative disorder that uh, affects muscle control and muscle movement. Uh, and so people with muscular dystrophy end up being wheelchair bound and require uh, massive amounts of of assistance as they get older and the disorder gets worse and worse, right? So it's so it's degenerative, it's progressive. So as somebody gets older, it gets worse. And so Trevor, I think, I don't remember what they said his age was at the start of the movie when, when Ben first meets him, but he turns 21 at the end of the movie uh, because that is stated in the uh, sort of epilogue narration. So I would imagine he's like 19 or 20. Somewhere somewhere around there. And so he has been living with this for a long time. They say uh, a number of times in the movie that he was diagnosed at age three. um, And that is when his father leaves the picture, which we'll talk about in the second segment. All of the daddy issues everyone has. In the movie. But I want to specifically talk, Krissa, about Trevor's experiences that we learn prior to the film setting and then during the film. So, can you speak broadly about um, Trevor's experiences?
1: Sure. I think. The experiences that I find useful to display on film um, that I think it's kind of exciting to me that people get to experience are a lot of um kind of microaggressions. okay and and there's a couple that are my favorite. <laughs>
0: OK, one is um, before before you jump into the microaggressions in the movie, could you define sure. what a microaggression, a micro insult,
1: uh, a micro assault, those
0: kinds of things to the listeners?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. So a microaggression is something um, I don't you know, I'm I'm not com- I don't usually use like the the real definition, um, okay. but I think a way to understand them well is that it is a statement or a behavior that by definition does not matter okay. unless it's repeated too much. Okay. It's not offensive. It's not hurtful. Otherwise, it would be macro, right? Sure. So it's yeah. the repetition. It's like the dripping of a drip of water into the same spot yeah. that makes the spot sore.
0: Yeah. I and also, so I a fusion uh, animation that I've used uh, in the past, it's like a mosquito bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, over time, it could be lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of mosquito bites, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. One doesn't matter. The swarm does. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so I think that's um, kind of a good way to picture it. And it's the with disability specific. It's kind of interesting because they're real kindnesses, most of them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the, I think it's called the ableist scale, uh, ableist microaggression scale, has a, a a long list of good ones. If anybody's interested in looking, and almost all of them are just these super nice, kind, taking care of. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's mothering of somebody, but the problem is they don't need to be mothered. So a microaggression that is in the movie is this infantilizing idea. Oh yeah, and that's so common, um, and it's seen throughout the movie. I think that you get shocked out of it almost immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes that kind of emotional story that we talked about, right? It's Mm like people go into this story imagining, oh, the poor baby in the wheelchair. And he comes out with all of his noises that you expect of somebody in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And he's like not in control of his body. And then you realize that he's just being a little twit. (laughs) <laughs> it's like yeah people in wheelchairs can be little twits like that's that's breaking my my bias right and uh, that's breaking my um stereotype of a person in a wheelchair is that they can be this whole human being who's also just kind of a jerk yeah and i love that i, I love that this whole movie shows he's not he's not a nice kid throughout the movie mm-hmm. i think he's like age appropriately bratty yeah but it's not like he's gonna save the world like don't go on thinking he's an inspiration
0: yeah, he's very misanthropic and and you're right. He's um I think maybe a little more cynical than your average 19 or 20 year old, but yeah, quite misanthropic and there might be some some deep-seated reasons for that but yeah it, it outwardly uses his disability as a weapon in many in yeah. many cases
1: and i i think that really starts the movie off with this idea that you have all these biases you probably weren't aware of mm-hmm. you probably thought were nice like oh people in wheelchairs are just so precious we need to protect them and it's like you do not need to protect him like he is good yeah you know Uh, And I love that. And there's a few more throughout the, Mm -hmm. the movie that are excellent in similar ways where it just constantly challenges the picture of a person in a wheelchair that you didn't know you had, I think.
0: Okay. what? uh, Give us an example.
1: So I think another example is uh, another common microaggression is the idea that people in wheelchairs are kind of without sexuality Mm -hmm. or lacking in ability to date. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, you know, I think we go right into him being having no ability to talk to girls, having no like doesn't know what to do. Yeah. But he's interested. And it's not as a little kid looking at their teacher like he is a 19 or 20 year old who's like I would like to have this.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
1: that's not the picture we have of people in wheelchairs as a general rule. We we think that they're supposed to be alone because oh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Paul Rudd's character Ben asks Trevor during the movie like and then, and then, dot sort of has a more crass way of asking, you know, does does your penis work?" right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which would you believe that's like said all the time?
0: Right. And no, i I would. I would absolutely believe that because humans are <laughs> not yeah, shy. Like-
1: Right, and why? It, why is it somebody's business? It's like I'm not going to ask your name, but I am ab- going to ask immediately about your genitals. Yeah, like it's the strangest. And I know that's a microaggression, not just to the disabled community, but to others as well, yeah. including you know trans and, In the trans and other individuals. Absolutely. But it's like, why would this be your business? What a bizarre statement! Can you imagine saying it to somebody who's just like part of the majority?
0: Yes. And I think uh, t- to the to your broader point about relationships and and um, the perceived asexuality, especially of of people who are wheelchair bound and who have m- uh, muscle and control based disorders. Right. Right. That the pity extends. So it's pity. Right. Um, and it it ex- this asexuality extends to the idea of like um, a pretty girl in this case Dot would only uh, go on a date because of pity right not right. about gen genuine liking or anything like that and I think the movie yep. does a really good job of showing Trevor's struggle right because he's not uh-huh. the most f- uh, smooth guy great but Dot's curiosity. And their date in the middle of the film doesn't end with sex or anything like that. it it, it right. it's it's very wholesome. It's very genuine. It doesn't come across, and I think this is really important as far as the filmmaking is concerned, it doesn't come across as a pity move. By
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that uh, I was, I kind of expected it to, I, you know, I've seen this movie before, mm-hmm. but as I'm rewatching it in preparation, I had this like memory that it, it was like, they didn't do a good enough job, like that it was accidentally a pity party.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as I'm rewatching it, I was like, because why would Dot want to date this guy who's just kind of a jerk? Like he's just going around saying like crass jokes that are not respectful and he's just like messing with people without respect for their, you know, like the type of pranks he pulls are kind of disrespectfully rude in a way that, you know, we kind of uh, enjoy sometimes in movies, but I'm like why is somebody, like why, they need to give an in, a reason to be interested in him for it to be something other than pity. Uh-huh. And in my rewatching I was like, oh they did. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it before. It was like the side conversations that made him so human to her mm-hmm. where he would like whisper things and be like, we're creating a little inner circle here. Yeah. It's like you and me versus Ben in this kind of lovable way. Yeah, And, uh, and I think that was a really important thing to add.
0: You're absolutely right. And the icing on the cake that took the pity part away from, from, from my, uh, viewing of it, was when he was asking her out on the date and he basically logiced her into it. Basically, yeah. it was like, she's like, I only date assholes or I only go for assholes. And he's like, well, I am an asshole, but I'm also not an asshole, which mm-hmm. is surreptitiously asshole Right. Because you want me to be an asshole. Because so you, you want me to me be me an asshole. I, so, nice. yeah, <laughs> right. And it's just like the many layers is like a asshole onion. And he like, (laughs) I think he He like, uh, yeah, (laughs) he affectionately gets his point across that he has genuine feelings for her and she recognizes that. And so at that point, to me, it doesn't reflect pity. It reflects, oh, this guy has genuine feelings for me. Why not?
1: Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, exactly.
0: We'll give it a shot. Yeah, which
1: I think is is so like important too to see that it's it's very common for people to comment on my relationships in public in this way that's also kind of just known that happens to other people where it's like how sweet of this person to take care of you.
0: Right? Uh-huh. Right. And it's
1: like, they must be so good. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not needing a whole lot of care. <laughs> right. And if I, if I look at the differences of like, it's not that I carry nothing, right. I need care in the same way that my partner does. Yeah. Like, you know, he's got baggage too. Mm-hmm. It's not in his foot but we've all got it and all of us need care. And some days my days are going to be hard and it's predictable that they'll be hard in this way instead Mm -hmm. of like some other way. And so it's just this interesting idea that people see it as just like a, a one way space because I think because it's rare mm-hmm. and because it so often is associated with kind of end of life. You know, you see these huge numbers about disability that it's one out of six people. It's like I don't know people like me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So whoever where is everybody? Right. Right. And it's because it's so uh end of life specific yeah. that it comes up so often. And then it is more likely to have like this care responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, um, Just as it is in Fundamentals of Caring. But you can see he doesn't need care other than physically either, right? Right. Like
0: he's good. Yeah. He's, I, he's
1: got his thing going.
0: Peaches is already asleep. You guys want to get something to eat? You know, um, do you guys mind maybe just going by yourselves? Uh, I'm pretty beat. I think mean, there's a place across the street. <laughs>
1: Oh, and how obvious is this? No, it's not. It's It's been a long day. Yeah.
0: Are you asking me on a date? Yes, I am. Pick me up next door when you're ready. James Bond there, that was the most badass thing I've ever seen in my life. Come on, man, give me up. Give me a little sugar, give it up. My people don't high five, trust me, it's worse than the air quotes. Come on, don't leave me hanging. Yeah, no, that, you, that was terrible. You're right. Handsome and cool, Ben, you got it? <laughs> right, I'm just gonna give you your medicines before you go.
1: What, nothing? What do you mean nothing? What is it?
0: Ben, what is it? Nothing. Ah.
1: Uh... Oh shit. What? Ah. Uh... Shit, Ben, what the fuck? What is it? Um, I think I left your medicines in the other hotel with the uh, CPAP machine. They were all together.
0: Oh, fuck. Are you fucking kidding me? That's not a face cream, okay? I need that shit to live. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's, um, uh, shit, you know, no. Oh, you know, fuck. Listen, it's fine. It's fine, all right? I'm going to call a 24-hour pharmacy and I'm going to... No, gonna... in USA, they're not going to have shit. Off. Oh. I knew one of your spells would kill me. No, it's not. Oh, shit, oh, shit, 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 shit. I'm sorry. Look, I'm really sorry, all right? I don't know what happened. I know what happened. You're an idiot. You're a fucking idiot. I'm not. I'm not, all right? I'm not an idiot. I'm hilarious. Oh, oh man, you Are you kidding me? This is when you decide to play the prank? When I'm about to go on my first date? I, it just it seemed funnier that way. We'll bring this up in the next segment about why Ben thinks that the thing going needs some change, of course. Yeah. But in the first part of the movie where we are building the relationship between Trevor and Ben, we do kind of see the, the neces the necessity for Trevor's care because yeah. um his hands don't um uncurl. Uh, on Mm -hmm. his own, like he needs help uncurling, uh, his hands. There are a couple of jokes that are made in this space, uh, uh, at the expense, of course, after Trevor makes jokes at Ben's expense, like don't do air quotes, you're not actually flipping me off, that kind of thing, so... So Ben while he's in his wheel or not Ben, excuse me. Uh, so Trevor while he's in his wheelchair can't um navigate his home space while his mother is gone. So the right. care that Trevor needs is full-time daytime care from awake to sleep. And we see that in the form of um going to the bathroom. Right. Uh there's the 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 great scene At the beginning of the movie where the only question Trevor has for this new caregiver is how are you going to wipe my ass? I'm I'm being a little bit um, uh, less graphic than they do in the movie. And he says, uh, Ben says, "I'll, I'll wipe your ass until there's no poop left. Right. Uh the, the S word of course is used in, in in that case. And you see at that moment that these two are going to match each other's energy. Yeah. And, and I think it's great. And then you get the rundown from the from the the mother. So oh, uh, Mom. what is mom's role in this film as one of the caregivers and just in general?
1: Yeah, mom's role is the same role that moms play, I think, to a significant number of individuals with disabilities. I think um, because, you know, like I said, the microaggressions towards people with disabilities, if you look through that Ableist microaggression scale, mm-hmm. you could just kind of count out like which of these are just like moms on steroids or even just regular momming. And again, it's that difference between the one mosquito bite and the swarm. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And so I think it's very, very common uh, in the experiences that I've heard about, that I've seen in movies, that I've seen in comedy, that I've seen in all these places where the families are really big. Um, issues in in infantilizing and in making sure that this person is kept delicate Mm -hmm. and safe when in fact, that's not really how what's helpful. That's not really what is um, wanted or needed uh, because I think that was, I think parts of it were really unrealistic in the caregiving that was actually needed by Paul Rudd, but it's entirely possible that they were needed because of mom. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like, when, again, you're thrown into the fire, you figure it out or you burn. Mm -hmm. And in his case, it's like, tell me he doesn't have a bidet. Like we have, we've got this one solved Um, there's, there's ones that he can press with minor button use Mm -hmm. and it's not as though people with disabilities would ever not know that. Like we figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Figure it out. And so the, the issue is, um, obviously there's one of costs that is very expensive to be disabled. So sure. There's a lot of people who have this similar issues to him that like might still need care with that. Um, but there's even travel bidets and things like that. like it's it, we're, we got this one, so the only thing that would really be blocking in that situation is kind of mom. Yeah, if if that were really kind of not part of the story, which I think honestly it was just a storytelling feature more than like a reality. Yeah, uh, but you know I think that mom uh, does end up blocking so much of his life when he's she says he's never been more than an hour away, and you can see like the implicit drama on the screen is really about like. She's made sure he has never been more than an hour away right. because yep. she's got this fear of what could happen to him that he doesn't seem to share to the same extent. Mm-hmm. He does show fear, but honestly, I think that's because of the story that was told to him by her through her his whole life. Like, yeah. you can't do
0: this. You have to wonder if his anxiety is not not inherent to his mental, to, to so his brain chemistry, but rather mm-hmm. a product of the amount of infantilizing his mother has uh, added. To his life because he spent he he was diagnosed at three right and let's assume normal pruning happens in his brain around five or whatever so he doesn't remember the early years of his diagnosis but he does have vivid memories from you know five probably around the time that he had to be get had to get into a wheelchair and just never being that far away from home, only going to the park once a week.
1: Right. And and this constant story of like, you can't, something could go wrong. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if that's the story that you were told all the time? And it's not as though it's untrue in the sense that I think was really shown through the scene where uh, Paul Rudd played the trick on him. Yeah. Where the character Ben paid, played the trick and said like, oh my gosh, I forgot your medications. Yeah. I, he had me going.
0: going. I honestly, right? Paul Rudd played that. So well, as a person with anxiety, yeah. I was like, oh, this is the conflict of the movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. No, there we're getting into it. But yeah, I think it but it really takes on that point, right? Of like, if we forget something, it's not the same as forgetting face cream. Far more so yeah. for him than for me. Yeah. But but similarly, like I, you know, I have a spinal cord sim, simulator. And at one point, actually, at the conference where I met you, mm-hmm. I yeah. forgot the charger to my charger. And I ran out of spinal cord stimulator energy. Oh, wow. And it was it's not the same as not having face cream. It is not the same. It's like, okay, so now do I have what I need to manage this pain? Mm -hmm. Luckily, I'm I'm practiced at act. Let's see if that's good enough for the day. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, And it's different, but it's also fine. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this too shall pass. That was a painful day. And then it was the next day. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that teaches us that is practice. Yeah. And he wasn't given the opportunity to practice. And certainly there's some medications that will be more or less important or, uh, you know, but even then to me, like if I walk through, I don't know that particular medical diagnosis well or anything, but I imagine if it's as important that it's not a this two shall pass situation, mm-hmm. then just go to the hospital. There's always somewhere to go. There's yeah. always a way, you know, I, yeah. I kind of write this off in my head is like, there's always a memo you can write, right? Like there's some way out of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, go to the hospital. It's going to suck. And then it's going to be tomorrow.
0: Yeah. And 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 it, within the prank that that Ben plays on Trevor in this scene, he's like, you know what? I'll just, you know, I'll call 24 hour pharmacy. And Trevor's like, there are no 24 hour pharmacies around here. We're in, you know, uh, yep. BF nowhere. Uh, right? And that's going to be the thing. And, and 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 Ben's like, oh, of course, it'll be fine. There are like you said, there are there is some place to get these things. And it it probably I don't want to diminish anyone's real fear about um, lack of 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 resources that they need, but there's probably a way uh, out of it. Mm -hmm. Probably.
1: Right. And I'm sure there's a whole range of experiences regarding that. But I, I do strongly believe that the story of necessity is actually pushed on individuals with disabilities more so from an external sources than uh-huh. internal okay. like it and of course that's going to be an individual um thing like that's not going to be universal but it is you habituate everybody habituates to their situation in fact there's a great study where they compared the um kind of well-being happiness of individuals who won the lottery versus people who had been in like a horrible kind of disabling accident okay and it's there's no difference really like once that you get to a point of habituation Mm -hmm. then the worst thing is still the worst thing Mm -hmm. if you were anxious before you're probably anxious now yeah like it's just not that relevant anymore it's just like the life that you know now
0: yeah yeah i think we we get um humans are really good at getting used to things yeah yeah um and i that might be hardwired in our cognition it might be hardwired in our genetics that we we just have to adapt we're really good at adapting we've you know obviously uh colonized as an animal the whole globe from our beginnings in af on one continent we've colonized the whole globe like that i don't mean colonized As governments and all of that, but as an animal, right? We've adapted to all sorts of different places because that's what we do. Our brain allows us to adapt. We're we're really amazing like that, and it's probably because we're just really good at getting used to things,
1: right? And I think that there's, I mean, there's obviously, I don't know, like sub demographics within that. Like it is very, very common, of course, for people with chronic pain to have depression. Yeah, I don't want to undermine that or or say that like. One shouldn't like that is that is a very normal experience of if you Absolutely. add a punisher, you know, speaking as a behaviorist, if you add a punisher to everything you do, how many more reinforcers do you have to ha- add to just get the math of well being? Right,
0: you know, um, yeah.
1: But I think when we're when we're talking about as a whole, um, just figuring out how to use a new body, there's evidence to say that figuring out how to use a new body becomes normal once it's normal.
0: Yeah, I think and, and by the end of the movie, we do uh see massive amounts of growth in Trevor after they go on this road trip to go see the most boring odd oddities of, of yeah. the United States ending at the giant pit uh, somewhere in Montana or like an album for me. I
1: found out really
0: watching. This yeah. is a real place.
1: The, the, I, I had the exact same experience. I was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, they're saying that's in Utah. I'm in Utah. I'm going to look it up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how have I never been there? Oh, I so it's in Utah. Trash. OK, OK, OK.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so, it's like, so funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just like a mine hole or something. I don't know. I'm definitely going to go in the next couple of weeks. Just be like, I've seen the hole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it must have been like a core. Uh, I don't know. Is it a natural formation? I couldn't tell no. if it was like a.
1: It's from mining or or something. Well, maybe it was natural and expanded upon or something, but it's a mining-like thing.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That is quite intriguing. The one last thing before we get to the break, Carissa, is uh, I wanted to ask you about the uh, cow scene and specifically the Americans with Disability Act. And, uh, And honestly, this is like the only scene where... The idea of the Americans with Disability Act, the ADA, is Uh brought into the plot. There's really no other mentions elsewhere about disability access. Can you talk to us about this scene and sort of um, what Paul Rudd's character Ben does
1: Yeah. So, you know, in the scene we have Trevor is so excited to see this stupid, like giant cow, which I would be too. Like I'm obsessed with that whole (laughs) subplot of like what he wants to see. And so he goes in and with, with his, like his relative level of excitement that he ever displays. Mm -hmm. And then they just say, no, Um, it's, it's on the second floor. So it's not for you. Let us give you this consolation prize of a postcard. Right. And his response to that, I think, is striking because he just says, Yep, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. And that is the response. Uh, that is typical. Is the response sure. that is expected? Um, you know, you read about uh, different disability activists, and that's a big part of what the activism is really against. Is like we don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. We don't have to make ourselves smaller. Yeah, which is really the external pressure to do so. Right. But instead, you have this person who's really being like an advocate for Trevor in this way that like would have been. Again, this is the interesting thing about coming upon disability midstream. It would have been embarrassing as hell to me yeah. in the first few years of being disabled. It would have been like, drop it. Let's go. Okay. Like, the, do not try to tell him it's his problem, which is what, of course, Ben did. Yeah. He said like, sorry, this is your problem. How are we getting him up there? Yep. And it, that's, that is the experience. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't, let's just go. Let's just go. And then to have an advocate like that who says like, nope, this is a whole person. He gets to have the whole person experience. Mm -hmm. And if you've chosen to exclude him, then what are we going to do now? Like, how are we going to not exclude him anymore? That was an active choice that you made from being thoughtless to put him on the second floor. And as an outward facing business, Mm -hmm. this is your responsibility. And there's all sorts of like little codes and laws that really like keep everybody safe. So it's not even like, I think the law has no teeth at all. Um, is is something that I've found over the years. Interesting. But, okay. But it's still like the goal of the law is like if it is a public facing institution, of public facing business, then I get to see it, mm-hmm. and I can't do stairs that day and then still work later that night. Right. So how are you going to help me see this stupid cow that I now want to see? Yeah. And yeah. So uh, I think that that was a really great view of being an advocate in a way that would have a variety of different responses. I'm sure for individuals, again, pointing to this idea people from a group are not a monolith. Right. There, there are individuals inside of it, but what a great thing to display as an option.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, and like I said, setting up that question, it's the only place in the, in the plot, in the movie, like it's a tight 90 minute movie, right? Um, it's the only place where other characters, um, you know, other than the main ones that, that that we see throughout the movie, it's the only place in the movie where anyone has any kind of stink raised about any of it related to Trevor's disability and being in a wheelchair because they eat at restaurants. Trevor just wheels up to the table. Um, yep. when Dot and Trevor go on their date to the diner across the street from the motel room, we actually don't spend any time in that diner, but we can see them. And it just, it looks like they, they have a table and yep. Trevor has just wheeled up to the table. Um, there's no interactions with wait staff going, oh, we need to move this chair. Oh, oh, are you going to need a handicap, uh, yeah. table, anything like that? It's just, all of that is is assumed, and then we have this one scene associated with ableism, and I think it's and yeah. it's a really powerful scene, and I love how <laughs> the the uh, I guess we'll call them <laughs> ranch uh, ranch yeah. entrepreneurs <laughs> just struggle to get his motorized yeah. wheelchair up and down the stairs. It's great. It's really fun. And the
1: editing on that
0: was so good. It was. It was amazing. Yeah. And the relative quickness that they spend up on the second floor. Right. They just (laughs) stare at the the cow's eyes. (laughs) Some great some great uh, close ups going back and forth between the cow's eyes and the the two men's eyes. And um, (laughs) and they're like, "Ah, are you done? Yeah, I'm done. And then
1: they have to do it Yeah, like, what are you going to do for that long with a giant cow? You're just going to be like, I will spend the day, you know, (laughs) gazing upon him. (laughs) Like, it's just like, yeah, it's going to be a five minute visit and he gets to do it. Yeah. And
0: I love that. I don't know about you, but I was thinking that this cow was alive and I was like, second floor. Why do they have an alive cow on the second floor? This doesn't make any sense. And then it was a stuffed cow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I have the same. And I was but I was still like, why did they put something that heavy on this? Table? Like, this is I mean, I, don't, I guess I don't understand taxidermy. Maybe it's light then. I don't yeah. know. But in a way, it's just like what a dumb like it's, it's thoughtless in so many ways and seems really not great with feasibility. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> All right. So we are going to take a quick break. After the break, uh, we are going to talk about Ben's characterization. Why does he want to be a caregiver A full-time caregiver to a disabled uh, teenager, young adult, whoever they are. So stay tuned for that conversation. Are you a big fan of the Cinema Psych podcast? a connoisseur of the compelling stories and intriguing insights that we have on this show, well, show your love in style with our premium podcast merchandise. Yeah, that's right. I've updated the podcast store from ultra comfy hoodies perfect for cozy podcast binges to sleek coffee mugs that add a dash of personality to your morning routine. Our merchandise store has it all. I've added so many new products and it's designed to withstand countless listening marathons. There are a lot of episodes. I think you'll love them. But wait, there is more. Every week, there is a new promotion turning up the volume on value. So keep an eye out for our exciting special promotions. Every other week, 15% off in between. Sometimes there's a special 25% off day. And then sometimes there's free shipping. It's the perfect way to score your Cinema Psych podcast merch for less. I'm excited to have expanded the merchandise offerings, but I'm really excited to say that new designs are coming up. And you can put these designs on all of the merchandise. So keep an eye out for new arrivals in the design section. So don't just listen, wear it, flaunt it, live it. Visit our merchandise store at psych.com slash store to shop your love for the Cinema Psych podcast today. Remember, every purchase goes directly to supporting this show. And of course, thanks for listening to this show. I love doing it. Now let's get back into it. And we are back with Dr. Krissa Draper talking the 2016 film... The Fundamentals of Caring with Paul Rudd. So in this segment, we are going to be talking about Paul Rudd's character, Ben, a little bit more. We mentioned him in the last segment. Of course, we did. We have to. He's the caregiver to Trevor, the disabled person in the movie. Um, But in this one, he uh really gives us a window into the characterizations of all of the people in the movie. Not only himself but Trevor as well, Uh, Dot, and then we meet Peaches, Peaches along the way. So um, in this one, in this segment, uh, we're broadly going to talk about trauma because that is the main characterization for Paul Rudd's Ben. But I first want to talk, I want to ask Chris, uh, I want to ask you a question. This is kind of a rhetorical question, so if you need to punt it, go for it. But I was curious. So at the beginning of the movie, um, we don't know uh, Ben very well. We meet him at uh, as he's taking this caregiving course, and he's uh, being hounded by a person who we later uh, see is his wife, and she is requesting for him to sign divorce papers. But he's taking this caregiving course, and he says when he meets uh, Jennifer Eel's mother of uh, Trevor's character that he took a six-week course. My question for you, Ah. Krissa, is, and I put this in our notes, our notes document, is six weeks a long enough course for adequate training in full-time caregiving?
1: That's a great question. And I think that it's, I think that caregiving means so many different things. I know, it does. And I think that one of the themes to me about the care that this character needed was like, there's really very little that needed to be trained instead of just chatting with Trevor, Mm -hmm. asking Trevor what he needs. I mean, there's certainly, he needs to understand how to do a hold appropriately, that it's not going to drop him. He needs to understand how to, like, what um, health behaviors uh, matter in different contexts. But really, it comes down to, you know, at one point, Elsa, the mom, tells Ben do you know this disease? If not, look it up. Yeah, And then, you know, at the end of the movie, we cut back to he's spouting out uh, statistics about it. And I'm so like, funny. that's the training that he needed, Yeah, right? He needed like a little bit from Wikipedia, a lot from Trevor, and then to know how to hold him up.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So I think that it's just so variable, like, you know, in my professional life, I used to work with caregivers of people with dementia. Mm -hmm. And I would say that a six week training course is really not good enough for caregiving for somebody with dementia. Too short. Yeah. Okay. Too short, because then you've got all the issues um, that we have with Ben, but then we also have like How do you calm somebody when rationality is not going to work? Yeah. Uh, Like all of these emotional things and safety feeling things that Mm -hmm. come up there. Um, But when somebody is just like, I I think it's almost infantilizing in some way, like a, a denial of personhood in some way for somebody else to do the training other than how do you pick someone up safely yeah and and I'm overstating that I don't think it's actually infantilizing but I think it's like an extension of that it's like he knows what he needs mm-hmm. and so if we just listen to Trevor
0: then we're good I I agree I agree with that um I'm I'm I I based my question on the role that my mother and stepfather and uh, in addition to my younger sister played in uh, an increasingly uh, aging my grandmother. So my mother's mother. So uh, she lived with my, my family, not with me. This is, I am adult already had a family. Uh She's in her nine. you know, she's in her nineties. She, she she passed peacefully in 2019. Um, And so, you know, Up until that time, you know, increasingly having small micro strokes, right, Um, increasing in cognitive decline and dementia and not being able to hold herself up to go to the bathroom and all of those things. And I was curious if like if if they knew about a six week course to Mm -hmm. assist them with this, would that have been adequate? Uh, or would yeah. that have been better than just like trying to muddle through it on their own? Right. Um, or uh, they did eventually end up having to hire caregivers to come to the home because they needed to work yeah. and do all of that stuff. Absolutely. Um. In in much the same role as uh, Ben plays in this in this uh, movie, and how much training did those people get? I obviously never asked those people. It never right occurred to me to ask. Those nurses and and in-home caregivers. But it is a massively growing industry. And we are going to need way more than we have in the next decade and beyond. Because not only are uh, baby boomers getting older and going to need that care, Mm -hmm. but there are just more people. And so statistically, you are going to have people like Trevor... Uh, mm-hmm. I forgot what the statistic was at the end of the movie. Do you recall how how many people end up with Duchenne muscular dystrophy? No, I don't. remember. It was like one in fifteen hundred or something like that. Maybe I think it was that. That sounds kind of right. Yeah,
1: I, I just loved like that he had it, but I don't remember. Um,
0: yeah, so I may be wrong about that statistic, everyone. But I mean, just mm-hmm. statistically speaking. We've got eight billion people in the world. Right. One in fifteen hundred, if that's the statistic, that's a lot of people, <laughs> right? right? Who and are also going to need of the rare that? Ones. And that's yeah. a rare one, right? So, not only do we have baby boomers getting older, we have uh, increased cases of dementia and dementia-related disorders like Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. We have, um, you know, these kinds of of muscular and neurodegenerative disorders like Parkinson's and muscular dystrophy, ALS. All of these things we are going right. to need way more care. And this yeah. thinking, I know I didn't write a whole lot of this and I'm just like, kind of like coming up with, with ideas right now, but like, we are going to need more and it's six, six weeks for a certification enough. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, we used to offer, I used to work at this place called the Nevada caregiver support center in grad school. Mm-hmm. And it was, we didn't like, We didn't offer any sort of course for caregiving in the way that uh, Trevor had Mm -hmm. or that Ben had, excuse me. But what we did do was we offered the part that he didn't have. Mm -hmm. And those programs are around and essential because it's the part of like, it's so common for people to get terrified when they don't have a memory left. And what do you do with that? Right. Yeah. So those kinds of like mental health add-ons are just not part of what the nursing assistants were doing. Like the nursing assistants Mm -hmm. would do the toilet training or not toilet training, the toileting. Um, they would do a bunch of like the, the care that we saw Ben doing, Mm -hmm. but that is certainly, I mean, it's just so different. What kind of care you need based on what kind of issue you have. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, um trevor needed hands yeah um less often he needed feet and as long as there were hands and feet around he was like he had what he needed at least he had his
0: yeah mental faculties mm -hmm. there yeah
1: Yeah. because he could inform the rest right and i think that's not true to the much larger caregiver burden
0: right right and 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 so it takes me back to like the way that it's presented in the beginning of the movie where you're given this acronym aloha um, yeah. and help me out with uh, it's ask questions. Uh-huh. Listen, what was O help? Oh, uh, oh yeah. The, uh, the
1: next O was, um, I don't remember though. <laughs> I have it written down somewhere.
0: Um, and then H was, you know, help. And then the A at the end of aloha was um, ask again. Ask again. Yeah. Um, and it strikes me as, as you're saying, like, this is only a small fraction of the caregiving that needs to, um, needs to occur, mm-hmm. uh, among very, as you say, non-monolithic disabled populations because disability comes in many shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so he, he goes through this six week course and the only thing we see from this course is the aloha acronym and of course the aloha acronym is the only thing shown because that is a theme throughout the movie Uh Um, but we don't see anything else and then we cut to uh, uh, Ben saying oh no Trevor's gonna be my first client (laughs) like oh my god yeah Uh, do you know what you're getting yourself into because i'm sure he was placed there by the agency that is actually paying him the 9 dollars an right. hour so, oh uh, sidebar on the 9 dollars an hour this was in 2016 9 dollars an hour was not was not in 2016 right. fast forward 8 years later and i was watching and i was like 9 dollars an hour oh my god and 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 you brought up you brought up Um, nursing assistants cna certified nursing assistants get paid garbage for the work that they have to do and okay sure it's it's a it's a certification and it's not the same as you know four-year bachelor's degree or even a two-year rn degree but honestly nursing assistants do some of the hardest job because they are at the bottom of the hierarchy, right? Um, and so they do some of the hardest jobs and they
1: get paid dirt. Yeah, it's really awful. And
0: yeah. I, one of the things that I did learn about the organizations that came and assisted my grandmother while my parents were working when she lived with them was that they too were getting paid dirt, yeah. right? Um, if not minimum wage, just above minimum wage. Right. And in right. Wisconsin, minimum wage isn't that great.
1: Yeah, it's really uh, just I feel like the the more you look under the hood of any um kind of whole field of of things, you're just like, oh, this is all trash. Burn it down. Start over. Yeah. And I think that like the CNAs of the medical field, I mean, there's plenty to burn down in the medical field certainly cnis are part of it it is um the disproportionate amount of work done by people at the bottom who are not making living wages they're Mm -hmm. not getting what they're worth is just absolutely awful
0: yeah my sister my younger sister she's 11 years younger than me and her first foray uh into life post high school was um she wants she her goal is to uh, her current goal is to be a teacher, but work in special ed um, because one of her best friends growing up had Down syndrome, uh, down, has Down syndrome, excuse me. And so she wanted to work with intellectual and Down syndrome dis- sure. disabled folks. And so her first foray into life post high school was CNA. And she worked mm-hmm. at a home for uh, folks with Down syndrome and other intellectual disabilities. Most, I think, most of them, if not all, had Down, like actual diagnosed Down syndrome, and not any other mm-hmm. kind of um, LD um, or ID. And she said it was some of the hardest work she'd ever done. And she's a very yeah. s- she's a very small girl. Very petite, yeah. and just, just, just the the scenes that we see in the movie of Paul Rudd struggling mm-hmm. to hold, although he does a very good um, cradle hold of yeah. Trevor, um, just but just struggling to get him up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> although some of the struggles I think in the movie are supposed to be meant uh, are meant to be hilarious, right? Uh, because right. the standing while peeing was one of trevor's mm-hmm. uh dreams if he if he didn't have muscular dystrophy um, which i thought was hilarious because I do too. That would i'm be great i'm here to say it's not that all that cracked. it's cracked up to be to be honest yeah. with you um but <laughs> that's easy to say that's from right that's sitting. easy to say from where i'm sitting right um, I'll take it, yeah. um no but i think that was cool too just as
1: a as a quick sidebar like I think that was so telling that it was such a mundane. Yes,
0: that's true. Thing. That's very true.
1: And I loved that. about yeah. It It was just like, yeah, like, you know, I just want to be able to do this little thing. Yeah. I don't need to go talk, you know, climb a mountain. Exactly. I just pee. Peeing sounds great. <laughs> yeah.
0: And they get it. They get it done at the end of the movie. Um, but yeah. like it just, just seeing her and hearing all of her struggles with this, like she abandoned. Yeah nursing assistants very quickly like after her like she never I don't think she ever got it renewed like her certification was valid for X amount of months or whatever 24 months or whatever it is and she was like no I'm not doing this anymore absolutely not and so she's finishing up her her teaching degree and gonna get credentialed in special education so she ultimately got to where she wanted to be working with Individuals with intellectual or learning disabilities, but in a a, we'll say a slightly more structured environment and less. Right. Obviously, teachers are still still struggling in this country. Right. um, There's
1: another hood to not look under. But right, exactly. uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's entirely true. That it's just, um, it's so much work, Mm -hmm. and it's such difficult work i i you know the turnover rate was so high when i was working in mm-hmm. that setting yeah that it's not only that you have different people all the time but it's always kind of new and yeah. that's an interesting problem because one of the things that i think is true about caregiving as a general rule is like the reason why it's hard is because of the lack of practice. Yeah. So people's parents get old once and then it's going to be like the one or two people in your family mm-hmm. that are going to have this problem. They're not going to have the same problem as each other. And you have to learn everything from scratch. Yeah. Right then about this particular one. Yeah. Because it's not generalizable. And then as soon as it's, it's like, as soon as you learn it, it's over.
0: Yeah. I agree. And
1: everybody has to become this micro expert overnight or else they're suffering. So surprise, there's a lot of suffering like within these family units and within this like kind of struggle to gain competence. And so there's this need for these actual experts, not the not the short term experts, but like I've done this 30 times and we can't keep them because they're not treated well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So what's the deal with the deep pit or whatever?
0: Oh, in the 70s, some scientist dudes, made a little tiny hole six miles deep straight down, trying to get to the center of the Earth. Named with the world's deepest pit. I think I just like the name. So your dream is to see a big hole in the ground? I've always been an overachiever. I'm also going to see my father. Did your dad fuck up too? I wouldn't know. He left when I was three, when I was diagnosed. That's really bullshit on a stick. Why are you seeing him? his idea thinks i should uh, forgive him i wouldn't forgive him so ben takes this course and he, he becomes the caregiver to trevor and let's talk a little bit about ben's characterization so we learn throughout the movie in very small bits and so spoiler alerts ben takes the caregiving course is being divorced by his uh wife is being um you know hounded by a process server uh, to sign those divorce papers because his actions or potential inactions, we do see it's hard to know whether or not we should treat Ben's memory as as reliable. But unfortunately, Ben's young son is uh, hit by their family van picking up uh, loose fruit. Loose fruit. Put him in bags, y'all. On the driveway, and he gets run over by the van that was not parked properly. Perhaps the right. parking brake was no longer good. We we don't we don't honestly know. We don't actually see the sun get hit by the car, but we do know that the sun is dead in the present time uh, on right. th- uh, during the the setting of the film, and so. Paul Rudd plays a dad who is grieving, um, suffering a massive trauma, likely thinks that it is his fault. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it is or not, that's beside the point. He thinks it's his fault, and that's good enough, right? And so he is grieving, and that's the the impetus for him going to this care caregiving course. But what we see in the movie is that he processes his grief through fathering, right? He fathers Trevor in a way that Trevor's father didn't, left at three. He ends up being a father, briefly, to Dot, played by Selena Gomez, who is hitchhiking from Olympia, Washington, to Denver, Colorado, Um, and then ultimately acts as a surrogate father of peaches, who has to emergency deliver a baby at the bottom of the giant pit, uh, and so Paul uh, Ben's, uh, Ben's characterization is somebody in need of purpose, and he explains yeah. that purpose, I think, in a very important quote to peaches, um, while Trevor and Dot are uh, at dinner. <laughs> What's it like being a parent? Every corny thing you've ever heard about
1: having a kid is completely and utterly true.
0: It's the only reason we're here. He is a grieving father. His purpose. Right. According to him is no longer active.
1: Absolutely. That was such a heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: And so what are some of the ways, Krissa, that you saw him dealing with his grief in this movie and some of the actions that he takes uh, in an effort to heal himself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there was this, you know, steady theme of what fatherhood meant mm-hmm. in a variety of ways, which you you know kind of kind of explained in other words, but it's that that was you know, you take paul Red's sentence like that's the only thing mm-hmm. and really, you could apply that to the movie. It's the only thing the movie is just fatherhood it's it's um it is just being. Uh, like there for logistically emotionally whether it's to deliver a baby or hold you up while peeing it's being there for people in this way that is just open arms yeah and i really like that about the movie i think it's a delightful especially from you know the context of the like debunking the five stages of grief yeah. right it's it's like that's such a trash um idea and a harmful one, in fact. There's, a, I was part of a study that we showed that it's like really harmful because it gets, it, it denies social support. Yeah, if you grieve wrong, right. And so to to show another representation of this is what grief looks like too. It looks like pulling in the thing that's missing from everywhere in this way. That's you know your chosen family. um, And that love can be so many things. And I I think that's just this really powerful and delightful part that really makes the movie great Mm -hmm. instead of just like a movie that has a lot of things that teach you. It's like, no, this is where that feeling is. This is where that story is. And I I think it's a really great way to tell that story.
0: I agree. Um, And I was not expecting the whole Peaches thing or her delivering the baby, but obviously in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. But as they're going on the highway and they see Peaches and her car broke down, it's like she's visibly pregnant. Yeah. Um, And she makes the the goofy, I'm pregnant, while he's like staring at her. Like, oh yeah, (laughs) uh, obviously. And so I think... While he is, uh, so the the movie is fundamentals of caring and not caregiving, of course, because caring goes beyond actually providing support or providing help in physical ways or even emotional ways. To be honest with you, because yeah. caring can be this abstract kind of thing, sending a like a GIF or a or a a, a meme or a, a reel or a TikTok or whatever to you. I was I was thinking about you. Here's right here's mm-hmm. something i'm showing uh that i care right that i care about you and that i think about you and all of that stuff he just sees a pregnant woman in 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 need and he, he feels like that is part of his uh, mo now right yeah. as you said it's, it's like the whole movie is the act of fatherhood right and yeah. so he sees a woman who is staring cluelessly at a car overheated, right pauses, pulls over sees she, sees if she needs any help. we don't really know if if Ben mm-hmm. knows anything about cars. we have yeah. no idea, and he's just he pulls over because who else is going to pull over
1: if not me, then who kind of sentimentality, yeah. but I think also with that is there's this you know kind of poignant idea that The person who needs the most care in the movie is not Trevor. Right. It's Peaches. So all of the training that he did for um, becoming a caregiver, um, all of the idea of like, oh, this poor little hero in the chair. Mm -hmm. He was not the one in need of anything other than help with hands, help with toileting. Right. It was Peaches needed help. Mm hmm she needed care. And it's this like great equalizing scene to me, where it's everybody, everybody needs help. And what that looks like is different. And having a caregiver having a father figure, having somebody who cares in the way that a father does in this like kind of unlimited way Mm -hmm. is that's the fundamental of caring, right? It's yeah. it's like that's the thing is it's for everyone and everyone will need it. Mm-hmm. It's not different for somebody just because they're in a wheelchair.
0: And then you see that uh, very uh, similar parallels uh, um, uh, to Peaches with, with Dot, who's not pregnant, yeah. but ha- doesn't have a mother anymore. Her mother is dead and she's trying to get to the last place that her mother said to go, right? to to see your dreams fulfilled and that kind of stuff denver um because her dad is a bit of a a bit of a mess and she says this at the end you know he's he's a big mess but he's my mess and i think ben sees that uh ben sees her hitchhiking is like this is this is a potentially a bad situation i know i'm a a a caring person I got a six-week certificate to show, (laughs) Um, and I want to help. And then he eventually like morphs into this father figure for her too, and even has a conversation with her real father. And it's just like, you know, what are you doing, man? Can you know? Yeah, what's going on? Like, what? How can we? How can we make this better? And I think that was really powerful too, because then it puts the fathering of Trevor into the fullest focus, right? So we have these two side characters that needed fathers, and then Mm -hmm. we have this main character who is so disillusioned by the idea of having a father because his father pieced out at three to show him what fatherhood actually looks like in the form of a friend, of course, right? I'm not actually suggesting that Ben is like, I I, you know, I want to be your father, Trevor. They have this row in the uh parking lot of his actual father, of Trevor's actual father's dealership. Like, I'm not here to be your son. I'm not here to replace your son. And and Ben's like, I, I never wanted you to be a replacement for right. my son. But the subtext of them two them them arguing at each other is like, oh, actually we needed the exact thing that we're saying we didn't need
1: right we both needed this so desperately from this big hole in our lives and and it's like i love that it it gets to the idea of how implicit our needs can be Mm -hmm. um where it's obvious to everybody but that character that that is exactly what they need and that's exactly what they're doing
0: yeah you're the kid with the cool sneakers yeah so what's wrong with you I have, a uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Shit, that sounds bad. Can they fix it? No, not yet. That fucking blows? Yeah. Does it hurt? No, I mean, kind of. Does it affect your brains? No. Does your penis work? You know what, you want a menu? Can we get up, uh, a menu? What would you like? You want a sandwich? You want some eggs, maybe? The waffles are really good, right, Trev? Yeah. Yeah, the waffles are good, or yeah, your penis works. The waffles suck. I'm Dot. Fair. Two perverts got room for one more. So I want to end our chat today, Krissa, with asking you what your favorite joke, and I specifically want to uh, ask, inappropriate joke you thought was (laughs) the funniest and then I'll tell you mine
1: yeah yeah I mean I think I really liked I liked the the joke where Trevor was trying to flip off Ben and his fingers were not cooperating well enough and then you know Ben just kind of laughed at it scoffed it off like you can't flip me off don't try to do that again and I love that for so many (laughs) reasons and and you know i'll just kind of end on this idea that like that is inclusion Mm -hmm. make fun of us you know what i mean like there's several comedians too that talk about that that it's like you are leaving people out for safety that's not for them it's for you yeah and i think that his you know Ben's ability to make fun of Trevor really was one of the things that showed that they were comfortable with each other. And I don't think he's as much of an outsider as people expect that to be. I think that's part of inclusion is treating people with disabilities just like you treat people in all the other ways. So that was my favorite. What was yours?
0: So my favorite ends the movie. Uh, it's in the epilogue narration of, of what yeah. happens after the the road trip. And you're um and so Ben uh says to Trevor that he was a a writer and and ended up uh, retiring and the retirement was because he lost his son. But he he looks like he's going to grab uh pick up some some writing again and he starts writing uh, a little blurb about his time as caretaker to Trevor. Um, and so he says he quits uh, being Trevor's caretaker so he can be Trevor's friend. Um, and yeah. I think that's a really important point. Uh, it is it is talked about in, in the movie at several points where Elsa, the mother, says, you know, you, you have to maintain a, a specific kind of relationship with your uh, charge, right, with your care charge. Um and not get too emotionally attached, so so he doesn't do that. He becomes Trevor's friend. So of course Trevor um uh, gets a new caregiver, and so the joke goes that uh, he's writing it is this is Paul Rudd's uh narration voiceover, and he says uh you know uh, Trevor went peacefully uh was found the next was found the next day lying peacefully on the the floor indicating that trevor had died and you're like Uh oh he died right well and i
1: think importantly that the caregiver knew how special he was yeah
0: knew how special he was and then there's a brief pause and paul rudd says of course trevor was faking (laughs) and the caregiver quit the next day yeah (laughs) it's it's so good So good. Yeah. Um, And I think that uh, brings us to the end of our conversation with the idea that it's okay to laugh. Absolutely. It's okay. It's important to laugh. It's important to laugh at all things. Yes. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Fantastic.
0: So I want to thank Dr. Krista Draper for joining me to discuss Fundamentals of Caring. And so before we say goodbye, Krista, is there anything that you would like to plug where folks can find more about your work, what you do at Utah State?
1: Um, I don't have anything in particular to plug, but I do have some information about me at Utah State University and the distance undergraduate uh, lab that I run and some things like that. So just, I guess, the directory. (laughs) I will (laughs) will go
0: ahead and direct that. that. I will go ahead and post that in the show notes so people can just click on that link and find you right away. Uh, So I want to thank you again for joining me, Chris. So this is fun.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That was a fun conversation.
0: I sure appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Until the next one, thanks for listening.